0: This is Tell Me What to Read, the podcast of Booktopia.com.au. I'm your host, Nick Sillia, and today I'm excited to bring you another special podcast-themed episode. With the launch of Endo Awareness Month, Stefania sits down for an interview with Erin Barnett, TV personality and author of Endo Unfiltered, how to take charge of your endometriosis and PCOS. Check the show notes below for timestamps for all interviews, as well as links to all books mentioned. Now over to Stefani's interview with Erin Barnett, author of Endo Unfiltered. Hi, Erin. Thank you for joining us. Um, Today we're discussing your new book, which came out this month. Um, It's called Endo Unfiltered, How to Take Charge of Your Endometriosis and PCOS. (laughs) PCOS. <laughs> um, it's the first time I've heard of PCOS, but uh, we'll get on to that. Um, firstly, I'd like to thank you personally, I, uh, for being so candid and open in this book about your own personal experiences, and I learnt a lot reading it. And you've answered some questions of my own that I've been struggling with as well. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, well, I really appreciate those kind words. Thank you.
0: Um, So to start us off, can you explain what endometriosis and PCOS are and what is the difference between the two?
1: Yeah. So endometriosis is where the lining similar to that that grows in our womb um, grows in other parts of our body, um, but it still reacts to all the hormones telling us, you know, that we we shed that hormone, that layer of, um, it's called the endometrium. Every month and we get our period, but instead, obviously it's got nowhere to go when it goes everywhere else in the body, but it still reacts to those hormones. So you still get those crampy feelings everywhere else. Um, PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome, and that is just when you have a hormone imbalance in your body and they cause large cysts to grow inside or outside your ovaries. Um, There's all different types of cysts that you can get a dermoid cyst, endometrium, uh, endometrioma cyst, which is an endometriosis cyst, so they work really good together. Um, but that's really much, I mean, they're both shit, <laughs> but, um, they're like sisters really.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately you suffer from both, which is what you share yes. in the book. So how, um, can you describe how these conditions are different to just having plain old bad period pain?
1: Well, see, it's funny that you say that because nowadays there is no such thing as bad period pain because, um, we shouldn't experience any, bad period pain. So that would be the first clue that something was wrong. But the difference is, like I said, one's cysts and one's endometriosis. So they work hand in hand together when they um, when you have both of them. If they're separated, um, they can be treated different and you can feel different. So it's kind of hard. I also have just been diagnosed in December with adenomyosis, which is endometriosis inside the uterus um, wall which is no surprise, so it's just all together.
0: You <laughs> probably, <laughs> so you got the trifecta.
1: I got everything. <laughs>
0: okay, so um, you discuss in the book that there's no cure. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you share how currently it's diagnosed and how it's treated?
1: So endometriosis can only be correctly diagnosed when you have keyhole surgery and a biopsy is taken of what they suspect is endometriosis and they send it back to the labs. Polycystic ovaries can be diagnosed through um, ultrasounds. You can also do blood tests as well. Um, And that can be treated on, you can go on different types of pills or different hormone blockers and things like that. Um, Endometriosis cannot be cured or really helped. You can go on different medication. You can have surgery to remove the endometriosis, which is what most people do. So there's not really, it's not really that exciting or I don't have any really good news to say that um, there's something out there that's a cure for both of them. It's just really trial and error with all different types of treatments that are available.
0: And a lot of women suffer from it without ever knowing that they've got it, is that right?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. A lot of women only ever find out that they've got um, one or the other or both when maybe they're trying to have a baby and they go get all the medical tests they need and then they realize they have it.
0: Well, I personally, um, went in when I was a teenager. I went into hospital to have my appendix removed. Instead, I came out with one less ovary. Oh. So um, I didn't realize until I read your book that I had been suffering from PCOS. Mm. Um, so that was many, many years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was really enlightening for me reading that because I, I just associated it with something that happened to me as a kid, um, and it was done and dusted. And and now, oh, reading your book, I oh, that explains so much.
1: Yeah, that's so wild that that happened and they didn't really explain much of it to you. They didn't tell me anything. So this was, yeah, I'm, I'm talking the 80s. Yeah, I but I, not much has changed. So that's why this book was one of the, yeah. uh, I was really hoping that it would start a change. Because to be honest, not much has changed in the medical world where they just, do things and don't really tell you what's happening.
0: Yeah. So the first I heard of it was like 24 hours after the operation and yeah. then, uh, the surgeon came in, I still vividly remember it, I was a kid, um, <laughs> he came in and it was a teaching hospital. So he came in with um, a group of interns Yeah. and then they were discussing my case and that's how <laughs> I discovered it. That's crazy. So they weren't even explaining it to me, he was explaining it to these other doctors.
1: Yeah. And meanwhile,
0: I thought, that I was meant to have had my appendix out, that I would have a lo- tiny little scar. And yeah. so the scar goes from one side to the other. Yeah. And,
1: and I think maybe because you remember it so vividly, there must have been something about it that was a bit traumatic for you. Yeah, the whole thing was traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah as a te- and I think you explained it in your book as well, um, that experience of you're a teenager and they're talking to you about fertility and having kids. And you're sitting there thinking hold on, I don't even have a boyfriend. Yes, you're talking to me about having children.
1: Or well, they also talk to like, when you're younger, they talk to your parents when yes. um, they don't really talk to you, even though you're in the room, they talk um, to your parents, which is also like, you just try and gauge from your, your mum or dad what's happening, if it's good or bad by how they're reacting. Yeah,
0: so that's my own personal story. Yeah. Um, so moving on from me and back to you. <laughs> um, so I think people would be really shocked by the statistics of how many women suffer from these conditions. Um, I, was, I was quite surprised, really, because it's that sort of topic that's been quite taboo. Mm-hmm. It's been considered like a women's woman's problem. So yeah. People haven't really spoken about it. Personally, I've only been hearing about endo myself maybe the past 15 years or so. It hasn't really been in conversations or dialogue before that.
1: Yeah. So can you share some of the statistics? Well, I know that one in 10 women do suffer from endometriosis. I'm pretty sure it's almost one in nine now. I don't know the statistics for PCOS, but it is more common than endometriosis. Um, it runs in the family. So you can almost guarantee you have them if someone in your family does. Like my, my sisters and my mum have PCOS. Um, none of them have endometriosis. Um, the only person on my family tree that has it is my nan. Um so yeah.
0: Yeah, and I suppose in my family it's hard to tell because it was a while, a long time ago.
1: <laughs> what you can't
0: Very back. different research. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um March is Endometriosis Awareness Month.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And you've recently been made. The Ambassador for Endometriosis, uh, or one of the ambassadors for Endometriosis yeah. Australia. So, can you share what this in- organization is
1: and how you became involved in it? Well, Endometriosis Australia is fantastic because they're always raising um, awareness in every way possible, um, also, help funding for new research. Um, they get you connected to all people, different people around the world going through the same thing. Um, and on their website and on their social media pages, they are just so informative about endometriosis how you can get help where to get help um the support groups are really good i just reached out to them one day and just asked if i could be an ambassador i thought i punched enough holes in like (laughs) my surgery that i deserved some sort of title to like help others and um they were so on board with it and they were like absolutely um you know i had no affiliation with them before i went on i'm a celebrity and chose them as my um charity um I was doing charity work for them because you can just set up your own little charity thing on their website like personal one and it goes straight to them I was doing that way beforehand and I'm always like advocating for women and women's health so I just thought I I would like this title please (laughs) (laughs) and so what sort of things will happen in March that you can um, so there's all different types of charities there's like an endo march as in like you march fandom which you can wear yellow um every day or just one day one day during march um there's all different fundraisers there's high teas that you can go to um all the money obviously goes straight to endometriosis australia to help fund new research to hopefully find a cure one day
0: um so
1: apart from
0: your you you've mentioned you've you've been on reality tv um you're also a nurse so
1: yes i, I did all... do yeah, yeah i did just study nursing yeah You
0: describe, um, so similar to me, you had a really traumatic experience at a young age with your first surgery and that helped shape your decision to become a nurse. Can you share a little bit about what that was like and um, if you've seen improvements since that first experience?
1: Uh, Yes, so I think because I was so young and um, the nurses that I had were so like rough and they didn't look at me like I was this young teenager they just looked at me like another patient that they had to take care of that day and I just thought oh my god I would love to be a nurse right now and get rid of them so that I could look after these people um and I feel like when you go into the hospitals now it has changed um they don't just say person in bed three and things like that they actually have to say your name and so it's more personal
0: Mm.
1: But I still feel like there are some nurses out there that are still old school Um, and my personal opinion is that maybe they need to be retrained in the new world because um, their care level just kind of drops a bit because they're probably over it because they they did it hard and all that back in the day, which I understand, but um, when you go into a hospital, you're very vulnerable. So, I look at each person back in the day and just think, well, this person doesn't really want to be here because no one really wants to be in the hospital. So to try and make it as nice as possible until they can leave. So you, you have appeared on reality TV. You've, you've mentioned that. So
0: can you, in your book, you share how you um, decided to audition. But for our listeners, I think they're a little bit curious about what made you decide to audition in the first place and how, um, like if you were self-conscious at all going in about the conditions that you had and how that would impact your appearance on the, on the show. Yeah.
1: So the first show I went on was Beauty and the Geek. that was when I first turned 18. Um, Honestly, I didn't really experience that much pain. I had a few surgeries up my sleeve, but it was no big deal for me. I just saw the ad one time, just thought I would apply. I never thought I would get on it, but I did. Um, Nothing really came from that. Then I went through a breakup uh, where a boyfriend had cheated on me. I was with them for three years and my friend sent me a link for Love Island. It was the season one. I was like, oh, you know, got nothing else to do with her. I as well sign up, went for the audition and I got it. I never thought I would. And then um, by that stage in Love Island, I had, I think I did two more surgeries. And then the pain was like, I was on a good pill that seemed to help me then. But I was always um, having to make sure I didn't feel too bloated or anything like that on TV. Then on I'm a Celebrity. I just had my, I got asked to be on it from the producers. I didn't have to apply or anything. And um, my endo and was really bad. I just had my ovary removed before I went on the show. I had blood clots and that come out of me while I was on the show. Um, they even had to get me my own heat pack, a water bottle that the campmates were heating up for me all the time, making sure that there was hot water on the fire. So as, I've, as I'm getting older, the pain and the experiences are getting worse, Where normally it's the complete opposite yeah when you get older your body actually ends up fixing itself kind of thing your hormones start to drop but mine are just increasing so each tv show has just been different so and have you
0: found that your profile since being on these shows has helped raise awareness of endo and how has it helped
1: oh absolutely if i had never been on love island is where my social media pages started growing because it was all around the world and if i never went on those tv shows i would never have the voice that I have now to raise this much awareness about endo and PCOS. Um, I know that maybe Instagram won't be around forever, so I'm just taking advantage of the platforms that I have and I'm trying to reach every person I can around the world and they're also reaching me and they can help me just as much as I'm helping them.
0: Yeah, so that's a blessing and a curse with social media, right?
1: Yeah, I know, it's a blessing and a curse. (laughs) Um, So,
0: some more statistics.
1: Um, Every
0: year, Australian productivity I was surprised by this one. Is impacted with a six point five billion dollar burden to productivity. Mm-hmm. That surprised me. Um, there's been a lot in the media recently about women advocating for period leave.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Been asking for it for years now. Yeah. So, can
1: you um, share with
0: our listeners
1: what would period
0: leave mean to people like yourself and other sufferers?
1: Oh God, it would mean so much because the the pain and suffering that you have to feel when you go to work and when you are on your period and if you are suffering with a lot of pain you don't really want to be at work and you're probably not going to be 100 percent yourself so you know it doesn't really benefit you or the company to be at work while you're suffering so it would just be such a relief and to know that you're with a, a company and a business that, are, that understands and that would make i feel like employees stay longer because you have that understanding I mean, we only get a certain amount of sick leave um, each year and that we end up using that. And then it's like you're using your annual leave but all you're doing is at home and you're in pain so that doesn't seem right.
0: So speaking of leave and, and work, um, you cover how in the book the, um, the the community has talked about positive outcomes from COVID lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, you call it Pando Positive. Yeah. was <laughs> <laughs> really cute. So... Can you discuss how sufferers have found their pain has improved due to lockdowns, and yeah. what can we
1: learn from that? Oh, absolutely, because you're in the comfort of your own home, at your own home, and I mean you have access to all your um, medications and wheat packs. Um, you're in more comfortable clothing. I think when you are in your own safe environment, you seem to heal better and recover better. So lockdown and work from home options seem to have great benefits um so i really hope the work from home option stays around for a lot of companies because you know you i've heard a lot of people say it was amazing because they could just go to the microwave heat up their wheat pack or take some extra panadol that's okay because they're at home and they could maybe sleep at home on their lunch break but you can't sleep at work on your lunch break that's inappropriate but at home you can so they just seem to be recovering better and healing physically so much better working from home so now that we've proven that we can
0: be as productive and efficient from home, then that gives women a little bit more ammunition, right? To be Absolutely. To, to advocate for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm a bit of a numbers person. so <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed a few more numbers. <laughs> um, so funding. I was pretty shocked and I think people will be pretty shocked to know about how in the UK, so it's not Australia, I want to stress this, you're mentioning that it's in the UK. So in the UK, they invest five times more funding into research for erectile dysfunction that only affects 19% of men. Mm -hmm. And yet 90% of women suffer from period pain, and there's not as much funding that goes into it. So within the Australian, because we can't speak to the UK, but within the Australian endo community, are you optimistic about where the funding is going and the research, how it's going in our country? Um, And what do we need to do to improve it?
1: Yeah, I do think there is room for improvement, absolutely. Um, I saw somewhere not too long ago that there is more funding going into migraines and all that that affect less people than it does endometriosis which was odd because it's like i feel like if i was up there in the medical board making these decisions i would look at stats and see what is affecting majority of the of australia men or women and aim for that not aim for something so little so i think just the more awareness um, we make about these things. The more louder you talk, the more people are going to listen. So, and the more people you have having a conversation could change a lot of things. So I'm very positive that the funding that's being raised at the moment and the research that's ha- happening right now is going to be super beneficial in the future. Hopefully sooner than later.
0: Yeah, and like I said, I suffered from PCOS and I think all my life I've suffered from it because mm-hmm. you some of those questions of, why I was feeling particular ways and yes. certain symptoms that I had, I'd never thought about it. So now even on the weekend, I was speaking to my sister and I said, I'm going to raise this now with my GP. because so I'd never yes. raised it. Right. Um, so the more we talk about it, the more we talk about these things, the more hopefully um, women rise up and we can get. A absolutely. Bit
1: of I, absolutely.
0: Um, so you, we touched on it already, how um, both of us had the experience <laughs> at it as teenagers where they were discussing our yeah, no. our fertility, right? <laughs> um, and you do, you've got a whole chapter in the book about it, which um, I found really fascinating. Like what your experience, what you're going through with doctors and the decisions that they're making on the, the how to further your Your journey through this yeah so can you and you rightly say there's the point where I went oh my god that's so insightful where people will go to a plastic surgeon they'll have horns attached to their heads they'll split their tongues to look like lizards they'll Mm -hmm. do all these weird things but then if you start talking about your reproductive organs with
1: surgeons they think that there's something wrong with you mentally absolutely and I also feel like I was there's also one thing that I say a lot is Um, When you're talking about getting your reproductive organs removed for medical reasons, um, sometimes you will have to go see a psychologist to make sure you're fit to make that decision. But if you become pregnant, you don't ever have to see a psychologist to make sure you're fit to be a mother, which I think is super surprising because it's still both dealing with the reproductive system. If I turned around to the same gynecologist and said, oh, actually, I want to have six kids, they would be like, oh absolutely they won't you know ask anything else and six is a high number my mom had four kids but I feel like they would just be like okay let's do everything in our power to make sure you get that but when it's the opposite they're like oh god no um you can't be making that kind of decision on your own like is everyone do you have a partner it's like well my partner shouldn't even be involved in it whether I'm married that's not a it's not an us decision it's a me decision um I've had cosmetic surgery done I've had breast implants done I actually had my um um plastic surgeon tell me that the implants that i had chosen were too big for my body and he does not agree that they would be right for me and i said well i still want it and he said well can you sign this consent form that tells that he wrote in there that he told me the risks and all that but i'm still agreeing to go ahead with it and i signed it and i still got it even though what he said did happen i wasn't i didn't go back and get angry at him i was like damn it like he was right and i signed i signed on the consent form so that was you know my decision so why is it so different for gynaecologists? I just, I don't understand. I know they study different things, but I just don't understand how come they can't come under the same umbrella with that consent form.
0: Mm. Yeah. So that was for me, one of the most shocking things in the book, like the way you explain it, that it's it will be very hard for you to have children um, because of your conditions yeah. and, um, and even going through IVF. But IVF will impact taking the hormones is going to impact um, your conditions. So more than likely you aren't going to have children. right? So to me, I just found it gobsmacking that knowing all of that, they would still not consider giving you the surgery to give you a quality of life.
1: Absolutely. And that is what I've been arguing with them for ages because Um, IVF was taken off the table when they realized my body is acting like it's already on IVF. It's overstimulating. That's the problem we're having. So IVF, I couldn't even do it because I'd have to, you know, kind of be hospitalized and monitored 24/7 while on this treatment, because I've had two cyst rupture inside of me, which is also like extremely dangerous. Um, So it's, it's off the table. So there's no other, there's no other options. So um, I don't understand why they won't just take out, the reproductive organs that are causing me pain. And I know I'm I'm young, um, but they say that if you're on hormone replacement at this age, you know, when you're 60 or 70, you could have a heart attack or a stroke or any heart disease. And I just feel like at that age, I won't be thinking, oh, you know, when I was 27, my doctor did this to me. Like I've definitely didn't fight for it for like 10 years. So it's just quite frustrating because if something's causing you pain, instead of making it better, they're making it worse because they're thinking about my future where I thought we were always told to live today as if it was your last. But in my, in my life, I have to think about when I'm 60 today. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you you mentioned your grandmother having a hysterectomy after the birth of your, your dad. Yeah. So your dad. Um, my mum had a full hysterectomy after my youngest brother was, was born. Um, so it's sort of, to me, again, touching on, on what we were just talking about, there's this this idea that, well, you've had the, and my mum was only in her late thirties, yeah I know how old your grandmother was, um, but there's this hypocrisy because, well, they've had kids, so now we can take out the organs. Yeah, but yes. because you haven't had kids, you haven't had children, you can't make that decision yourself.
1: Yeah, I that, know. It seems like. hundred percent, that's what they're saying. And I think that they're just trying their best because, I don't know, Western medicine, the modern medicine, everything is coming out. There might be a something out there that will fix this but i don't want that do you know what I mean i'm in pain every day so i don't want to have a child i can't physically do it my body won't allow it but what my body is doing is um causing me a lot of pain and suffering at such a young age so i just don't understand why doctors look at you more importantly if you have a child and if you don't yeah do you know what i mean i feel like they don't classify you as doing the right thing if you say no to having a child, whether or not you have something wrong with you. Men, like my mum, she asked for a tube to be tied before I came along. And the doctor said, Oh, well, I hope your husband, you know, your husband has to agree on this. And I'm like, this just would not happen now because how come it's like we have no rights anymore. I'm like, we're not living in the olden days. We are in 2022. Like, surely we've got more rights. But yeah, it's quite frustrating.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. So that was the chapter that for me, like, yeah. really hit home, um, especially because we're moving into International Women's Day. Yeah. Um, and the, all these issues are quite um, topical. Um, okay. So, your book, I must say, you have a lot of great tips really useful. Like I said, you answered a lot of questions that I had. Um, You go into useful questions to ask your doctor, what you need to pack if you're going into surgery, what to expect from all the different tests. So it's really, it's a great tool. Um, How would you like people to use this book? And what would you like them to take away from reading it?
1: I would like them to use this book as a guide to... Um, if you have a friend or a family member or someone you know that's suffering with this and you don't know how to approach them about asking for more information because it could be sensitive, I want them to use this book as some help. If you're going through what I have, I want this book to be um, also a helping guide on how you can try and get through it and be okay. Like it's not a shitty situation, but there's a lot of people going through it, which makes you feel a bit better. Like, you know, misery loves company kind of thing. (laughs) And I just want this book to be like um, an endometriosis Bible that you always go to and you look at it and you think, oh my God, I forgot to ask my doctor this. I'm gonna take the book with me. Like write on the book once you have it, like circle, highlight, anything. Cause it it's, yes, it's so helpful. So, and this is the book that I wish I had when I was 14 years old. Cause I, I, when I read back on it, I just think like internal ultrasounds, like I show you photos on what to expect, like not just doctors, yes. the way they talk to you, it can be so confusing. So the medical terms they use. So this book is a Bible. Mm. Yeah, it's fantastic. Look, it's great that
0: it is such a topic of
1: conversation these days because when
0: mm-hmm. I was a teenager, the only source of information, we didn't have the internet, the only source of information for this sort of thing was Dolly Doctor.
1: <laughs> I used to like Dolly Doctor, We had to pull the side um, off on the magazine. Because <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> it was like, you know. The sealed section. Yeah, the sealed um, section. <laughs> the sealed sections. Um,
0: so the fact that there's this conversation happening and it's more in the, um, the discourse with women, I think, is, is great. Yeah, so yeah. personally, what did you discover about yourself on this journey writing the book?
1: I actually didn't realise how much I had gone through um, as a teenager until I had to write it all down. So it was actually quite confronting to know when I think of someone who's that age going through that, I can't fathom it. And so re- it was a real... Eye opener for myself, and I realized that I have closed off emotions for certain things that I must have started doing at such a young age. And when I started writing the book, I thought, Well, no wonder. I'm like, look how much you've gone through. And that's when people say to me today, Like, you know, you've gone through so much. I'm like, Yeah, I don't realize until I wrote it down, like having to write down the timeline of my surgeries, I was like, Really? Like, I just still can't fathom that I've had that many, or This is what's happened to me. So it was an eye opener. Um, And it was super empowering to know that I'm okay and I can be, you know, a guide for other people. Yeah,
0: well, congratulations. Thank you. It's it's great. Um, So for people at home, um, make sure you go to our website and have a look at the book and and place an order. Um, It's very useful. Like I said, it helped me as well. So (laughs) thank you very much, Erin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Erin Barnett. You can find links to all books discussed today in our show notes or head over to booktopia.com.au. Join us next week as we drop our second special episode covering International Women's Day. Thanks for listening and never stop reading.